Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Commercial Property Investor Podcast, where it's my job to introduce you to people from the world of commercial property. We're talking with investors and thought leaders about their experiences of the commercial property world and sharing our own lessons from the last 20 years to give you practical know-how so that you can follow in their footsteps. If you've ever thought commercial could be your next step, but it just seems too confusing and opaque, then you've come to the right place. There are so many exciting opportunities in this dynamic sector, and I'm looking forward to pulling back the curtain and sharing them with you. This is the Commercial Property Investor Podcast and I'm your host, Jerry Alexander. Right, in this episode, we're going to be going deep into co-working spaces. This is the second of a mini-series all about co-working and today's episode is about creating a winning space with lots of stickiness. More about that in a minute. Just before we get sucked into the details, I wanted to remind you that commercial property comes in all sorts of sizes and guises. It's so diverse, it can be quite daunting, but don't worry... That's what this whole podcast is all about, filling in some of the knowledge gaps and hopefully giving you some inspiration to get out there and start investing in commercial property. My story isn't one of meteoric growth with no mistakes, and it certainly isn't one with a huge, wide, enormous global portfolio of properties. We've made mistakes. Correction, I've made mistakes. We've invested in some great assets, though, and some not so good ones, but all of the experiences over the last 20 years have been vital for our growth. And we're still in the trenches, growing and developing week by week, month by month, adding more properties to our portfolio and continually improving our offer to ensure we maximise the return on our assets. So each and every podcast is almost a snapshot of where we are and my current thinking. And I'm so aware of that. As time goes on, our thinking changes, doesn't it? And the great thing about this podcast project for me is it forces me to think through what we do, why we do it, and to find a way to articulate it to you in a reasonably coherent manner. It's really quite cathartic. What I've found is that when I start looking into a particular section of our business and what we do in that area, there's been lots of learnings over the years. Things I've forgotten I knew. Sometimes when recording an episode, it's quite difficult to keep on track, in fact, because often subtopics start to appear. And that's the thing about doing a mini-series. It gives me a bit more time and space to share more in-depth on a particular subject. So in the case of co-working, we could record a very large number of episodes. So forgive me if I miss out things that you would like me to say and you think are really important and I haven't included them. I'm trying my hardest. If you think I've missed something out, feel free to share in a Facebook group. Or if there's something you really want our help with, then don't forget you can reach out and maybe join us on our Commercial Property Advanced membership programme, where we always have time to really drill down into some of the key aspects of making this great asset class work for you. So this week, we're going to dive into the co-working mini-series. And in the first episode, we covered five different areas, including the benefits to the customer, the benefits to the landlord or investor, and then we chatted about who the typical customer is and whether niching might be a sensible approach. And then finally, we started to break down different models or offers for customers. And one of the main points to pull out from that first episode is that this is more complicated than when it first meets the eye. There are many different ways of providing a co-working environment with lots of different customer types and lots of different charging models. But there are a number of key things that really impact whether a co is going to be successful or not. 
In this episode, I'm going to try and dive into some of those key elements that I think are essential for running a successful co-working space. We're going to discuss a lot of what I like to call the glue or stickiness that attracts and holds on to customers. Marketing is great at getting customers to come into your shop, but product quality and sales skills will get them to buy your product and stay with you. Now remember, you don't have to run and operate a co-working space to be a commercial property investor. A co-work is really a business which occupies the space. And as I mentioned before in the last co-working episode, having one of these on a bigger site can really help bring in new customers' energy and footfall to your bigger building. I think even if you're planning on being or are already a passive investor, where the thought of operating a business such as a co-work is completely in the opposite direction of where you want to go, it is important to understand how this particular strategy works. It might not be you running this type of space, but I think it would be foolish to ignore this fast-going trend and how it's going to impact the future of work, particularly if you're going to have a multi-let building. So the three key elements I'm going to discuss today are design, staffing and community. In a future mini-series episode, I'm going to dive into technology as well, and I'll mention it occasionally today, but I really think it should have a separate dedicated episode in this series. So although that is integral to design, staffing and community, I'm going to leave it for a different episode. And all these elements provide what I like to call the glue, you see, the stickiness of the offer. So let's talk about the design. That includes not just the type of paint or wallpaper we're intending to put up, but the layout, the mix of spaces, the types of furniture, all these key elements that you would expect to find in a co-working space. But before we dig in further, as I mentioned before, let's just agree here and now. A shared office is not a co-work. An office with a few desks shoved in it with a couple of beanbags and a few zen-like sayings on the wall does not create a co-working facility. It's about great design. You need to go all in. We have definitely had some failings here. We've had to adapt to what customers are asking for and then you have to commit. So let's start with size. Is there a maximum or a minimum size of space you need? Is, for example, a 40,000 square foot building or space on the upper limit? Well, possibly, but there are some bigger, believe it or not. Should there really be a lower limit? Well, yes, I think there should. You see, service is a key and you can't share the service cost far enough with a small space. Unless, of course, that small co-work is part of a bigger offer on that site, so the overhead is shared with clients outside of the co-work space, then it might be able to reduce in size. But the other limiting factor of a small space is critical mass and the ability to design in enough variety to attract a wide cross-section of clients. Some will like quiet space, some like, I guess, bar stools and higher working space, some like more formal seating. It's about personal preferences here. The key thing about the critical mass, though, is having enough, I guess, community or members so that there is a dialogue going on on a day-to-day basis, so there's interactions, and so that there's, I guess, an atmosphere. And if you've got a very small space, that can be difficult. It comes in fits and starts. See, there's, there's some people there, there's nobody there, and there's one person there, and then there's nobody there. I feel you need a certain size. Now, if you don't have a certain size and you're trying to fit it into a building where you've got other spaces, fine. But you must think about what that customer experience is going to be like and try and adapt your offer to set the right expectation. 
And there are some exceptions to what I'm saying here, of course. For example, one of the investors I'm working with on our current mastermind is developing a fantastic offer based around artist studios. And this will be different in terms of offer and operations, I guess, from the design that you might use in a court for, say, professionals such as lawyers, consultants and accountants with deeper pockets and lots of clients to impress. It'd be a completely different type of offer. And you may not necessarily need to have somebody looking after all the time or a beautiful reception desk or anything like that. It's horses for courses, isn't it? Another aspect of design that I think is really important is around food and bev. Are you going to offer something simple like just a tea point, coffee, tea and maybe biscuits that's there on tap? Are you going to go for something a bit more sophisticated that customers perhaps either have included or pay for? Is there going to be a concession for some kind of food and beverage on site that is, I guess, a joint venture or a partner that comes in, share maybe some of the profit, but also they help create a hub around which activity and connections can be made. And that's really the point about discussing where your food and bev or at least your tea point is going to be. Don't have too many of them because you want to make sure that people are connecting and bumping into each other. And if you've got loads of them, then there's not going to be as much connections going on. And make sure they're not a way out of sight. It's almost like thinking about a modern house where you've got that large kitchen space or at least aspire to have a large kitchen space with lots of seating around and everything else. And everything is kind of centred around that food element. And I'm not saying that a co-work's all about food, but it's important to make sure that that piece of the jigsaw is visible and can help draw in people for connections and meeting new customers, new colleagues that could perhaps influence your business or as a customer that is, influence their outcomes. So really important point, tea point and food and bevan, where you're going to put it. A simple thing to include actually is just a notice board, by the way. So members can reach out to each other, make offers, ask for things, learn about each other, see what events are coming up. It's a simple little thing, but something like that really helps. Where are you going to put it? That's part of design. And the mix of space, right? So this is a slightly different element. And these are things you might want to discuss with an architect or whoever's designing your space, unless you decide to design it all out yourself. But here are some of the things that we've tried to provide over time. And as we've developed out our different offers, we've recognised or from customer feedback being told what we've been missing and what people want. So here's just a list. Quiet areas. Some people want to get their head down and really work. But they also want more energy areas where there's lots of hubbub and activity. And that tends to be around those tea points. Event space. Can you change your layout that you set up on a daily basis for events? So could you rearrange the space without a removal company coming in to allow an event to take place in the evening? That's really clever design and quite difficult to do, but it's not impossible. Another one is meeting rooms. Often customers in those types of spaces want somewhere to go either to actually choose a meeting room themselves for a quiet call or for a Zoom call or for a meeting. And of course, that leads you on to phone booths. Phone booths is something that people have been asking more and more for, which is really not a meeting room. It's just a stand-up space. It's like an hotel phone booth, really, but it's soundproof, reasonably soundproof, so that you can go in there and make some calls, private calls. And then there's areas where you can do one-to-one chats. There's maybe project tables where half a dozen people can get around 
this isn't necessarily in a locked space or in a, or in a meeting room. It's, it's still in the open plan space, but it's where you can get a team around one space. Clusters. So this was something that came up for us in one of our locations where we didn't have any other space and some customers were asking for, well, I've got some members of staff here. We need an office. And we're like, well, hold on, we haven't got any. What are we going to do? So what we started to do was create clusters within the co-work. And this is just with a bit of design. And it's to try and subtly show everybody else in the co-work that this cluster, which is effectively a number of private booths, is private. Please don't enter. We don't have a padlock. We don't have a door. But it's just through a bit of design to try and create that separation from the rest of the co-work. Now, there's no ceiling. There's no walls. Effectively, there is some partitioning, but they're not full height partitions to create those clusters. It's particularly if you've got customers that are growing and they want to bring in staff, right? So that, that's an important thing as, as your space develops. Some people want soft seating, of course, and the others want formal space so that they can feel when they're working on a Zoom or with customers that have come in to see them, they're working in a more professional environment. But other times they want to just go and relax a little bit, right? And those low points. <laughs> and some do want low chairs and some want high chairs, bar stools, where they can sit a bit more elevated. We had one customer who came into a co-work and they came in for, I think it was three months on a project, and they sat in the same effectively bar stool over a bar area, and that's where they worked every day. Now, you could have put in some nice, lovely armchairs and leather chairs and all sorts of things, but actually, that's what they liked. And there's people that like other different options. So you've just got to try and cater to all these things. So another couple of elements to think about in the space is, are you going to offer drip coffee? Are you going to do barista coffee? Where is that meeting area, that more casual space? Where's the water cooler? Is that part of the offer there at the same space or is it somewhere slightly different? And as you plan to have a formal space, an ultra-modern space, or is it going to be more rustic and down-to-earth, perhaps in a more sort of industrial type of design or a heritage space? And that's something that I'm particularly fond of, creating co-works within those types of spaces. And yes, it's maybe not quite as formal, although you can have some very smart modern stuff in there. It also reaches it back into the past and kind of grounds you a little bit. It gives you that sense of history. I really like those types of spaces. So some member professions can be more challenging. This is something I've learnt or we have learnt. And you might need special provision if it's going to work for them and the other members around them. So, for example, recruitment people, they can be a little bit noisy on the phone. Legal and accounting people, they might need access to private space or phone booths, both because of confidentiality, but sometimes just for the sanity of other members. <laughs> so this is a tricky balancing act, and it's taken on often by the community host, the person that's looking after the space. And it's really vital to set expectations at the start so that new members are set up correctly. So their expectation about phone calls, where they're made, the kind of noise levels, other people's activities and business types to a certain extent. So it's just setting those expectations, those parameters. And we have um, house rules that we put up on the wall that you might want to consider. Just some basic things about how to treat others and how to treat the space, of course. Now, there's lots of other design considerations to talk about, but that's just a quick overview of the different types of space people might be looking for, rather than you thinking, like I maybe did at the start, that actually I just need one space as a cohort, right? But actually, there's lots of different mini areas within that. Just quickly, 
These other design considerations would be things such as fire regulations, toilet provision, wall and ceiling specifications, lighting, do you have formal reception desk or something less formal, floor finishings and how they can really subtly affect the vision of space, etc, etc. The list goes on. If there are some things in there you want to learn more about, then just get in touch. So let's move on to staffing of your space. So depending on the size of your facility, if you're up at the 40,000 square foot, you may need several members of staff. You might need the main community host or community hosts, someone to do admin, another in facilities, perhaps even another in marketing and events. I've banded those last two together because sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. But as I've mentioned before, we don't have any co-working exclusive locations in that that's all they do. We also don't have any really large co-working facilities. We do follow more of that hybrid model where our community host will also be looking after our customers that have private spaces. So they are in turn supported by those other members of our team. So for instance, we use technology as much as we can to keep down admin. But accounting and finance support is done by head office. Facilities management is run through our main facilities and property manager. So there's ways of supporting those individuals that are running those spaces. The key thing about the host, though, is they can be the real glue. They add the technicolor. They add the atmosphere. They add the character and the personality of your space. So don't underestimate the importance of your representative on site. We like to call them community hosts. And there are lots and lots of other factors that make or break a co-work. Having the great design, clever layout, facilities with super internet speeds are really important. But without that human interaction, it's all just stuff. So depending on the size of your facility, you need to think about the key functions that will need to take place on site. So this is talking about staff, right? So you need to list them out. You could be lucky enough to find someone who will do all of them, of course. Or do you need to apply some support from maybe a head office function to help provide the balance? For that individual so they can help with the customer experience while also matching our customer expectations. I'm definitely still learning on this one and I'm really grateful for the great staff that we already have. And as our offer evolves and the type of properties we're taking on, we're increasingly looking at community hosts being a key part of our customer experience. And actually, I have quite a lot to share on this topic, but let's just save that for another day. One tip I will say though for this type of role is you won't go too far wrong by looking for people with hospitality experience rather than necessarily office or reception experience. Somebody who's used to really good service is actually already ahead of the others because this is all about supporting your customers and your members in those types of spaces. That is what a co-work is. It's that community. It's that pot of different types of personalities. So let's move on to community and let's talk more about the glue, right? The touchy-feely bit. Do your customers feel they belong to anything special here that will add value to their experience in and around your space? Now, if you're the only co-work in town, maybe you don't need to think about these things as much. But once you get competition, these are the bits where you can make improvements and more importantly, keep customers when you've got them. So. Will those new members gain more customers in your space? Will they perhaps learn more skills and knowledge? Will they build new partnerships? Will they find new staff? And of course, there's friendships, 
as potential joint ventures. And there's support when things are not going so well. There's somebody to talk to rather than being at home and being on your own. And there's, of course, people there to help you with a celebration for those moments of victory. There's inspiration. And that could come from just the people around about you. It could be from the environment. Or it could be through events that you or your team curate. It could be just a hand up. Somebody just to give somebody a bit of support as they're trying to learn how to build a business. It could be energy and events. So that's a lot of the touchy-feely glue. But what's the opposite to that? Is it an uninspiring space with a flat atmosphere? Is it boring? Difficult to access with lots of friction about how to actually join as a member? Are there no networking opportunities? Is there few interactions with others? And even worse, is there negative people and attitudes that just make it a place to go to work and not really anything else? And all of those things I've described, they will be influenced slightly by design, but really affected by people. They're all kind of emotions and things, aren't they? So not everyone is that bothered about community, of course. They just want to come somewhere to sit down, put their headphones on and get to work. For them, speed of internet, ease of access and a frictionless experience is the most important thing. But for those members that are interested in the benefits I just mentioned, these things can be created by clever design and human intervention. In other words, the environment can be curated with a bit of forethought and by your staff. A less finessed space with a soul can completely outperform an expensive, wonderful designer space with no personality. So far, we've touched on design, okay, and the role of your team in this enterprise. But another facet that can really help provide more stickiness is a good calendar of events. So I mentioned in there about events and about meeting others and about ideas and support and a hand up. It's another reason for customers not to leave if you have a social calendar of events. Now, we've tried lots of different things over the years. And over the last 18 months to two years, events has been really difficult, of course. But we are starting to get back into them. And I'm going to talk about pre-pandemic <laughs> for the moment. Because pre-pandemic, people would do things like early morning yoga. They would do evening wine tastings or film nights. They would do simple donut days. You know, it just depends on what type of space you provide. And it's dependent on what your target audience is. And whether they like olives and margaritas or whether they like beer and soda. I mean, it's what's of interest to them. And obviously you need to develop your offer to fit around that. And over those years, we've tried a number of different types of events, as I say, and some have worked and some have not worked so well. Just today, in fact, we have put out our first invite for a barbecue at one of our sites. And barbecues are definitely one of those event types that have actually worked really well with us. Now, it might be the free food and bev, of course, but that is not what attracts everybody. Sometimes just something that's a bit different. And I do think this type of event has worked really well for us. And it does help create an event that people remember, something you can talk about on social media, and of course, something you can bring potential customers to as well. Another event we've had on our social calendar is, is Christmas meals for customers. We don't pay for the meal. We might put something towards it. But giving people something for free isn't always the right way to go about creating a good turnout. You know what it's like. If everything's for free, people treat it as such. Sometimes a little skin in the game helps. Anyway, 
We tend to arrange different Christmas outings for different sites. Sometimes they can be joined up if they're closer, but these are very much run site by site by our teams on those different sites because most of you all know running an event is hard enough at the best times, but trying to coordinate an event with menu choices over multiple sites is really quite challenging. But it is a great time of the year, and you have to remember co-working members, they may not have a team to go out and celebrate Christmas with. And maybe you could help facilitate that in your space. Now, educational events. These are ones that can be really popular. Again, depends on what type of customers you have in there. If you have a lot of customers in your cohort that are small business startups, for instance, then free events were an element of networking. And a formal element of training or tutoring or education can be really useful. Of course, food and bev helps. And over the years, we have brought in experts about accounting, I guess, um, tech, banking, raising finance, legal advice, and all that sort of stuff. And we've also been fortunate enough to bring in guest speakers that have amazing backgrounds and provide not only education, but great inspiration. And those events can be really good to create a bit of that, I guess, glue, that community, but also bring in potential customers and gatekeepers that you already know out in the wider network that can come on and experience something that you're putting on in your own space. And you could, of course, run more regular events. I've sort of talked a little bit more about one-offs here, but you could do um, every Friday afternoon, you maybe do a liquid event because <laughs> it's Friday afternoon, or you could run a monthly event that would involve donuts and coffee and that sort of thing. They can be really simple. Sometimes they can just be ad hoc. But mix it up to appeal to more people. Having a broad mix of event types, timings as well, by the way, early mornings or lunch times or evenings, formal and informal, regular one-offs will mean you appeal to more of your customers. And you don't have the same people turning up for each and every time. With the same people not turning up each and every time. We definitely have to get better at this and every customer is different. So if you're going to start running events, start them out less frequently and work up to more. Don't overpromise. There's nothing wrong with having an ad hoc schedule of pop-up events. Just make sure they're different. It's all about testing, isn't it? See who comes. If some people like some events and some people like different events, then maybe you're going to have to just try different offers. And a couple of other things about events. Don't forget they can be really good sales tools for those prospects, as I say. And they can be really good to invite strategically those gatekeepers out there that deal with customers that are kind of your customer avatar. So it might be an accountant, for instance, that deals with lots of small businesses that could be good for you. So those events can be great places to bring gatekeepers in. So they will in turn do a good job of promoting you to others that may be a little bit harder for you to reach. And goodness me, we could do a whole podcast on events. I've forgotten how many different things we've tried over the years but they can be really, really useful. So in summary, what is essential to make all this work? Well, long-term sustainability, I believe, comes from a wider blended offer, not just co-work. It's about having private space, meeting space, event space, bigger offices as businesses grow. That's my personal opinion, but obviously it's fact, right? <laughs> no, that is my opinion, and that's what we find works best for us. Clever design is critical. The right tech is just a given. You've got to have the right tech. And the host or community manager or the community management team are vital. Without that, your space may not have a soul. 
That does mean, of course, size is important, but it could be, as I said, that co-work is part of a larger site, so you share that cost out amongst other customers and they do other things on the site. But if it is just a small site, then you have to create the right offering for the space you have. At the end of the day, if that's what you've got, that's what you've got. And you just need to make sure you set the expectations well at the start. So hopefully the areas I've covered will give you a fuller understanding of how to approach your intended co-working offer if you're deciding to do it. And I'm sure you'd agree by now a spare office full of wall-to-wall desks and Wi-Fi is not going to cut it. There's so much more to it. There's a commitment required by you and your team or your operating partner if you're going to work with somebody else to do this for you. But I just wanted to give you a good foundation in these first two episodes of the mini-series from my own experiences and observations. But now the exciting part starts because over the next couple of episodes of the mini-series we're going to be talking to experts in this field who have lots of experience operating their own spaces and serving the needs of other operators. I can't wait to share these guests with you, so stay tuned. Subscribe if you've not already done so in order to make sure you don't miss out on these best parts when they come out. If you've liked what you've heard and want to get started in this sector, then do reach out. Myself and my team are here to help. You can find our contact details in the show notes, of course. And last but not least, please take the time to leave a review so we can elevate the podcast to others and build the value of the show's content. So be awesome. Remember, get out there and do at least one thing to move your commercial property journey forward one more step. Those around you will be grateful that you stepped up and we'll be here cheering you on. 